0: Hello, and welcome to WONDERFUL. I'm David Pearl, the founder of Street Wisdom, and this is a podcast we've designed for anyone who wants to get some inspiration on the go. Today, a lot of us are listening to podcasts while we walk. WONDERFUL is a podcast designed specifically for that, a podcast to walk to, something to put a bit of wonder in your wonder. You're welcome to listen to this as you wander around your home or lying on the sofa even you'll find inspiration is actually everywhere but if you've got a bit of time and let's face it we've all got a bit of time let's boot up and head out into the street so hello wanderellas wonderfellas lovers of the wonder all welcome 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 to what we're calling the worldwide wonder edition what is that Andrew Payne is asking me quizzically well I'll tell you Andrew and our listening public um, it's a very special edition for a very special event so this very podcast and the social venture behind it street wisdom is is all about how we do that as individuals how we come up with new ideas find new direction get new insight but what we wanted was a way of doing that together Mm -hmm. how could we gather the wanderistas and the wanderellas and the wanderfellas of the world together in, a, in an easy, delightful way, so that we can exercise our imaginations collectively all over the planet. And that is the worldwide wonder. It's happening on the 29th of September this year. That's Friday, 29th of September. What date is it, Andrew? That's right. Friday, the 29th of September. It lasts 12 hours. It starts in Australia, ends in Brazil. You can jump in anytime from anywhere and it's free. Now, I know you'll be puzzled trying to figure out how that works, and the good news is, you can get all the details of how it works on the website of theworldwidewonder.com. All I will say right now is, it's going to be an amazing, indeed, a wonderful experience, and we'd really, really love to meet you there. There are going to be workshops, there are going to be special guests. It's going to be insight, stimulus, laughter it's the place that creative people will want to be on the 29th of September so if you do come to the World Wide Wonder oh come on, when you come to the World Wide Wonder let's be positive, let's see the future yeah, the way we want it to be so when you come to the World Wide Wonder you'll notice something quite unusual often happens on our workshops very often you bump into people you don't know and they seem to have just the perfect thing to say to you There's no pressure to talk to others when you're in a workshop, but but sometimes it just happens. And when it does, it can be amazing. You see this in books and films all the time, you know, a character that just appears at the right time, with the right guidance. But on workshops, it seems to happen in real life, and it happens often. We think of these people as what we call perfect strangers. And to whet your appetite for this festival of synchronicity in September, and to give you a feel for what the experience is like. We thought it'd be fun to introduce you now to a series of strangers with very interesting things to say. Things things that, who know might actually be useful for you right now to answer the questions on your mind. What we've done is we've plunged back into the wonderful archives. Actually, I sent Andrew back, as a, strapped a snorkel on him and I gave him a little webbing bag to listen again to all of our past guests. And he's resurfaced, spluttering to the surface. He's come back with his treasure bag bulging with 15 short but delicious extracts from past episodes. So what we want to imagine now is that you're on a busy street. You're thinking of a question that you'd love fresh answers to. And you're about to bump into some perfect strangers. I'm not going to tell you their names until the end, but I will give you some hints about who they are and what's on their CV as we go along, all right? Okay, so let's start with a a performer who's a genius at improvising, a sex educator, and a wiggly, yes, wiggly career coach. As you're listening to these perfect strangers, listen out for the power of being naked but heavily accessorised listen out for being interested first and interesting second and we'll start with what's not so obvious about what's obvious. Let's ask Pippa Evans about following your obvious. It's it, it seemed to twang something it, it, that I'm ex- we've been exploring in, in Wonderful which is there's a sort of you sort of know which way to go, but you don't know you know. But say say more from your perspective. What does it mean?
1: Yeah, so follow your obvious is really important to me, actually, because we have so much external influence that we forget to notice our own internal wishes. Um, and we so, therefore, we might always ask permission before we do something. And that doesn't mean I literally say, Oh, is it okay if I talk about this now? Um, but rather that I might say, "Oh, I'm going to talk about this." What do you, What do you think, David? Um, <laughs> and, and so it's like a side ask. And and but if you even you know wrinkle your nose, I might go, "Oh, well, it's, maybe it's not a good idea." So I'm not trusting where my sense of where to go. Uh, and that the example I often use in classes, or if I'm doing a workshop, is I say, "If I say the word tomato, what's the next word you think of?" And you'll get, I don't know. Pasta sauce, Italy, mozzarella—what um, those in the stocks? You know, whatever it is. And, and the point is, all of those are correct, um, but none of them are the same. Mm. So to so to to not be frightened of the fact that sometimes your obvious will not be the same as someone else's obvious, and that mm. is okay. And and mm. the only way we can start to really learn what our obvious is is to start following it and trusting it. So yeah, just really following your own instincts, your gut, uh, and uh, trusting your own imagination.
0: I, I looked up the word obvious, uh, inspired by you, and it's something like the things you find on the way, because via is the way. And I just thought, God, that's exactly what we're talking about, things mm. that things that are on your way. And have you got an example of, of Pippa following her obvious?
1: Um, I suppose... A career version of it was I used to be this American singer-songwriter called Loretta Maine, and I did that for 10 years. And I got to a point where she was she was doing very well, but I felt terrible. I just ha- hated it, <laughs> to be bl- bluntly on- honest. And so lots of people go, oh, it's going really well. Isn't it? Your career is going really well. And you're like, but I feel like death. Like I feel horrific. I'm not really? enjoying this. Hmm. Um and I think it might not even be serving me at all. Like I think I might be going a bit m- bit bonkers. <laughs> and so I had to choose to just say, uh, oh, yeah, oh sorry, a- additional. Um, so that, that was me doing stand-up as this American singer-songwriter, character, mm. Loretta May. And then I said, I thought, actually, I would like to do stand-up as myself in my own real voice. Can you imagine? Mm. And... <laughs> But but Loretta was doing so well, so my management was said quite quite reasonably. Look, we've you know we've put all this time into Loretta, so let's keep just, let's just keep finding out what's happening with that. But I was like, oh, I really think there's something in me speaking as myself. So I did Edinburgh Festival. I think it was 2014 or 2015, 2014, I think, and I did the Loretta show on the main festival. But there's also this brilliant thing called the Free Fringe, where you can do a show for very minimal cost. Um, and I did a show called Pippa Evans. Don't worry, I don't know who I am either. <laughs> and, uh, and that one, that one sold out completely, and the Loretta one was often very badly attended. So um, I felt so. In that moment, I followed my obvious, despite my management not not necessarily not supporting me, but not going. Yeah, that's a great plan. Did the show that was my voice, and then from then on stopped doing Loretta Main and found myself feeling much more open and true to what I was needing to do in that time I, as an artist, as a yeah. comedian, as a human, you know. Yeah.
0: But do you have any practices, or any Ruby practices that you do to develop your own pleasure capacities, as it were?
2: I don't know how many of these I do consciously, but just hearing you say that, there are def- there are a couple of things that I do. I like doing the same thing over and over again and noticing mm-hmm. how it's different. Whether that's I now have like a set walk that I do in my new hometown and seeing how that changes every day is a really nice thing because it's like, you know, marrying the familiar and then the unexpected together, which is really lovely. And now is a great time of year because the sun is coming out. And I just think if you can find a sun trap in your house and you can curl up in it for five minutes you will come out of that so much happier <laughs> even if even if you're still miserable you'll be slightly less miserable than you were before you entered the sun trap I'm kind of like a like a sort of small cat or dog just wanting to or like a reptile just going into like absorb all the heat I feel like that is a very simple pleasurable thing that gives me a great amount of joy and The other one that I that you know Rosie and I are running Body Love Sketch Club are big advocates for is just to be naked a bit. It's real, and you know, for some people that might sound horrifying and totally not the thing that they want to do. And I have full respect for that. People get their power at different stages of dressed or undressed. So, like, I feel like the most me when I this is opulent for you. I feel the most me. When I am nude but heavily accessorized, big hat, <laughs> big old stupid shoes, loads of jewelry i've got penwars, which are these like sort of big like sixties c three cloaky things, but also naked. that is me at my happiest and <laughs> If, you know, wherever you are on the fully clothed to fully naked scale, just relishing in one bit of that way or feeling connected to your body is a really nice thing.
3: You can start every conversation with curiosity because everybody, you've got something to learn from everyone. And actually almost assuming that you don't is that incredibly arrogant you can be curious about everyone, because in my experience, everyone is fascinating. You've got something to learn from everyone. No one has a monopoly on wisdom is one of, I really like that phrase. That was um, Ethnie O'Leary, one of the few female CEOs of an investment bank, once said that, and it really stuck with me. Mm. Mm. Um, and I think the reason I'm so interested about curiosity is it's one of those things where we all know that we have it when we're a kid naturally that's kind of part of all it's part of our dna so it's there we have it and i think we do lose it the older we get um unless we are intentional about staying curious and i think i don't have the answers but i'm really fascinated what does it mean to be intentionally curious in your job in your team and my favorite interview question is always and has been for a long time. You know, t- talk to me about how you stay curious in your job today, and it is without fail the question people find the hardest to answer. So I'd, either I'm being really unfair, it's a really it's a really mean interview question, but I think it's a question that people should enjoy answering. Like you know, I'm, I'm asking you how do you stay curious? What are you mm-hmm. talk to me about? What you're reading, watching, listening to? How how are you learning? You know, how are you furthering? your knowledge just what are you interested in you know that whole thing of be interested first and interesting second Mm. and I don't kind of blame people for that I just think it's something that probably isn't talked about or prioritized like generally in in organizations people don't maybe even use the word that commonly and then on top of that even if you wanted to you end up prioritizing the day job you know the tasks on the to-do list you you never see a task on the to-do list, which is, oh, spend 15 minutes listening to a different voice today on a a new podcast, or how do we keep some of that curiosity? Like, we know people walk and listen to podcasts, which is exactly why you're doing what you do. We know that um, teams are watching TED Talks together and having a cup of tea, so TED and tea. So I I love any of these small, practical ideas that we Mm. can, I guess just make part of our day to day. I think we would never want curiosity to be um, oh, that annoying thing you kind of never get round to. I think it should be the thing that you most look forward to in your day. Mm. Um, but I don't think that's particularly present at the moment in in most of our working lives, which I think is a real opportunity because curiosity is how we spot opportun- opportunities, make new connections, solve problems, stay optimistic. I think it has so many benefits Um, But I think we've got to work a bit harder at, at how we do it.
0: Okay, Wanderers, me again. I hope you're enjoying this unfolding quest of creativity. I've got three more perfect strangers for you a poet who is going to take you to the edge of knowing, a serial creative entrepreneur who's going to lead you down the uncertain path to a new book. And a leading environmental activist who's going to encourage you to try out your many identities. Ready? Take a deep breath. Wander on. Uh, I think we,
4: I think the culture, I think we live a lot in the knowing and the knowledge space. Um, But I'm really interested in, in what happens when you get to the edge of your knowing. Um, And what does that, if we went to the edge of our knowing and just sort of looked out, almost like, I sort of see it as a field. You know, you look at the field of not knowing and you look at the field and the light and the horizon, the landscape of not knowing, um, the nothingness, uh, the everythingness, you know, what happens? What could you, what could you gain from that? Um, What could you gain from that? How could you better be with it? Just being with the not knowing. So I think it's those two things. It's the, it's the being with the uncertainty and the difficulty and the um the scariness uh and then it's the it's the how can you not know more so i think that's the key thing it's not about knowing less mm. it's about not knowing more i was thinking and particularly thinking of you with your incre- incredible work around street wisdom and wondering and wonderful um you know could we could we have more places of not knowing in our streets in our towns in our cities in our parks you know could could we have a park bench of not knowing in every park <laughs> you know where where you're encouraged to sit and really just not know not know more um you know could we you, could we reutilize phone boxes you know the old phone boxes from the 20th century <laughs> which are still on our streets which we clearly won't need for much longer could we reutilize could you have a um a box of not go into the box of not knowing on the street? <laughs> And really just stand in there and just sort of not know for a bit.
0: <laughs> Tell me about outspoken. Go on, speak <laughs> about outspoken. What is outspoken and, and what, yeah, where did that idea come from?
5: So I, I had a, basically, I had a mental health breakdown in my 20s. And um,
0: me too. Yes.
5: High five, high five <laughs> across, across the Zoom. Um, and a poet, a poet who drank in the pub I was working in left me a book called The Golden Notebook by Doris Lesson, and it changed my life. So I read it and discovered that there was this thing called psychotherapy in it. It was about writer's block, effectively, and and I had had a kind of writer's block or a creative block or just a block And I started a master's at London Metropolitan University because I was like, I need something to help me, like, unblock. And one of the things I looked at during that master's was women's speeches. And there was just one book on women's speeches. And all the other books on speeches had, like, a token Thatcher or a token Pankhurst, but it was just all men. And I found this one book on women's speeches. And and it was really – it's a great book. I've got it. But it's really theoretical and academic. And I thought, you know, we really, we've got a problem here, which is the thought leadership of women, including these waves of feminism, um, gets forgotten. And so we can't stand on their shoulders. We can't build on it. Um, We'll end up repeating ourselves, basically. Um, So I had this idea, this was about 2008. This should be a book. I didn't know how to get a book done and anybody I spoke to, you know, I happened to meet a publisher or, you know, in a pub or something or somebody who knew something about books was like, yeah, I don't know. I can't see it. <laughs> so I started a show. I got a commission.
0: Oddball. Sorry.
5: That is oddball going crazy.
0: Get him in.
5: And then that's Steve running after oddball. These are the sounds. Um, you got a got, show. Yeah, I got a commission for the ICA and they they gave me a small bit of money to do anything I wanted and I was like right I'm doing the speech thing. So I asked Charlotte Church to join um some other like high profile women to join and just come and read a speech for free in the ICA. <clears throat> and um, and they did and Charlotte's become a friend now actually because she's amazing and uh, she's Welsh, and I'm very fond of the Welsh. Uh, <laughs> and um, we uh, uh, then that show we did it again at Battersea Arts Centre. Then we did it again at the Royal Festival Hall. And um, and a friend of mine brought a drinking buddy of his along. He happened to work at Penguin to the one at the Royal Festival Hall. Who this was twenty. 18 by this point who said this should be a book and I said yes it should it's 10 years later (laughs) it should be a book and so um so it became a book and so it's basically a collection a pluralist collection so I've got our first um communist mayor um Annie Powell who was a communist mayor in Wales next to Margaret Thatcher um there's a great speech in there by a woman called Margaret Smith who was the first ever woman who was a presidential candidate and she does a speech about how she's sick of Republicans being called fascists and Democrats being called communists and we've got to stop this psychological war between each other. Uh, it could be, that speech could be given today. without The whole thing could be given today. Um, and so I'm frustrated at the, the lack of evolution that seems to go on. Even in the short time I've been around, I can see things are repeating themselves. And it's it can be disheartening at worst, um, and frustrating at best. I
0: yeah. think. You, you, you're we're both lovers of words, and we like to to uh, anatomize words. But you said something just before we started about community, which I think is a word a little bit like sustainability, which is kind of you say it so often, it's sort of lost its it's lost or it's freighted with associations. But for you, it had come alive recently. Remind me, remind me, remind me why.
6: The real, the, 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 the origin of it is from two words, come meaning together and munos meaning in gift. Uh, And I love that because too often um, the word community is again, lazily used as if it was a population of people who lived within a line drawn on a map uh, and, homo actually means rather the opposite. It's about the relationships of the people uh, between that. So you've got to be in relationship. You can't be passive. You're not a community if it's passive. It is very interesting. I, I read a book um, I think you may have read it too uh, called uh, Identity and Violence by Amartya Sen the Nobel laureate. Mm. And in it, he writes this brilliant thing about he has a double page spread in which he says this is me, Amartya Sen and he goes I'm just making this up, but I think it starts, I'm a gardener. I'm a, an academic economist. I'm an Arsenal football supporter. Well, everybody's got to have weaknesses. Um, I, yeah, yeah, but, and this whole list. But it was about number eight or something that Hindu, I think, came up. And he said, what terrorism is about, what othering is about, is is?" External people trying to define you by what they would like to be your major defining thing. Mm -hmm. He said, but being a Hindu isn't my major defining thing. On Saturdays and some other days, being an Arsenal football fan is even more important. And, you know, and it was a really beautifully written piece about the, I don't know, the, what, 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 is it
0: the polymathy um, that makes us up? Okay. Wanderellas and Wanderfellas, you're doing so well. We've got a little, we've got five in a row for you now. Actually, I think it may even be six in a row. I don't know. Who's counting? It's just all glorious stuff. We've got one of the country's most connected people who's going to share the meaning of life, no less. A life coach is going to take her shoes off. A creative leader is going to start a 27,000 mile journey with a single step. An organizational groove master, yes, groove master has a very bad hair day, and a world-famous eco-activist gets all excited about the freedom of walking. But the first person you're going to bump into is Tracy. Oh dear. You see the look Andrew's giving me on my phone right now. I've told a name. I said I wouldn't. Well, never mind. There's one less person to talk about at the end. Tracy Rubel. Yes, that's Tracy Rubel, the founder of Sidewalk Talk, and she's going to share what it's like to sit down on an ordinary street and give a complete stranger a chance to talk and be heard.
7: Listening is really a revolution for me because oh. um, I didn't realize it was so darn pleasurable. I think, I think everything, at least, I don't know how it is in, in the UK, but everything in American culture seems to celebrate extroversion, celebrate talking, performing, entertaining. And I think I had totally bought off on that shtick And I think when I first started listening, I thought I was doing this good thing. But it's super pleasurable to listen to other people's stories and start listening in a way where you can elicit more of their personal story. It's just incredibly gratifying and enlivening.
0: And is that, I mean, maybe you don't know why, but is that a bit like listening to a great story on the radio or is there something about it being an act of service that's gratifying. So say more about that.
7: You know, you'd have to interview every listener for me. I feel a little less alone when somebody shares their story and they're willing to share the universe that's going on inside of them. in that particular moment in time Mm. for me, it's not so much the act of service. I don't get as in touch with the act of service with the people that sit down and talk to me. I feel that more with the other volunteers. I can feel my serving the other volunteers and doing the organizing and, writing social media posts and that stuff but when I'm listening I just feel oh gosh I'm not alone I'm I'm human with you and that feels really good
8: I love to walk yeah it's tw- yeah all, every, every single day you know you know at least once often twice a day and then you know you know, I, I come into um, you know London and um, other other places occasionally when um, when when I will try then to keep walking. Yeah, it's where I have my it's where I have my best ideas. It's where I have some of my some of my best phone calls. Um, to, to take that idea sort of um, more broadly, though, yeah, I love the idea. You know, there's a brilliant line by Theodore Zeldin, Professor Theodore Zeldin at Oxford University. He said, "Life is a search for people." And uh, yeah, it, it's yeah. one of my favorite lines in the world because uh, I agree with that. So, um, and I think if you're in too much of a hurry all the time, um, you won't bump into people. Well, also, if you're checking your phone too often, you will bump into people, but that's a different thing. <laughs> I, I think, so so, so I think life as a search for people is is a beautiful thought. So in that sense, you know, I'm meandering. Also, to get terribly um, serious for a second, I think that to solve some of the biggest problems in the world, you have to join unusual forces together. You have to make unlikely alliances, unusual connections. And that's why um, the cross-pollination is really close to my heart. That idea that you might see an idea from the travel sector, which works for someone in fashion, which helps somebody with their sustainable cup business. And before you know it, they're all meeting and sharing ideas and so on. So, so, so I think the cross-pollination sort of fuels this idea of meandering and certainly wandering.
9: Grounding is simply being barefoot on the ground, on grass, on sand, on, I guess, the pavement will probably do. I've seen people grounding on that, but it just doesn't feel as good to me as being in nature. I don't want my toes near tires and people's shoes. I like to get into the woods. So what I do is I go into the woods. I'm very lucky that I live near a big lake. And this quote that I heard the other day, and I'm gonna completely mess it up, but the essence of the quote was what led to this beautiful walk, which your listeners can do as an exercise, was something on the lines of, we think productivity is the answer, but the path is to slow down to the pace of nature.
10: Mm. That is
9: the path. Like that is true success. And I was like, oh, you know, doesn't that just sum up quite a lot of what we've been saying today about needing to look at productivity differently, rest differently? And I felt like that was a bit of a challenge. Can you, Kia Canons, with all your enthusiasm and your to-do list that's never-ending, can you slow down to the pace of nature? So what I've been doing, it's great weather right now at the time of filming to be able to, you know, get your shoes off out and about. So I've been going to the woods and taking off my shoes and having a walk and having that in my mind of am I slowing down to the pace of nature? And what I've discovered is that walking without shoes makes you slow down because you're looking where you're putting your feet mm. and you're looking at the ants on the floor and the, you know, on the ground even and the, the stones and things like that. And then when I was having this beautiful walk the other day, I came across a log with a lovely little stream of ants. One column going in one direction, picking up, it's so cute, they're going on this huge log to pick up the tiniest little speck of wood from inside the log. They go down a hole and they come out. And then they come out on the other side, and then they have this long, long chain going back, carrying um, all these different sized pieces of wood. And I thought, well, that's the pace of nature. Look. just slowly they're doing their thing but it's slow and so I now challenge myself when I'm barefoot walking to find evidence of what the pace of nature is looking at a bird looking at the water (laughs) and slowing myself down to that pace I don't know if that helps
0: oh it's so great I thought it was quite funny with the with the ants though, because they they've been quite productive. In fact they're you know, literature and poetry, they're the, the industrious <laughs> ant. But what I get is also just take up a little bit of wood. Don't take up the whole damn log. Just take yes. a little bit of wood. Yes. <laughs> Work with your friends. A
9: little bit of woody, it'll be fine. Yeah, because the ones that had the huge pieces that you really noticed, like, wow, look at that huge piece of um of wood that you're carrying. It was bumping into everyone. It was going zigzagging, they're knocking lamps over them to get back up. And I'm like, you know, you didn't need to do that. Look at the ant behind you. He's, he's got nothing. He's just picked up the smallest bit you could get away with. But that is kind of hilarious that we bring it back to productivity by actually using ants as an example.
0: Now I love I love what you say because it it it, it what you, this pace this idea of what is the pace it it links mm-hmm. to again as a musician when I was writing wonderful it occurred to me that there's there's a tempo mm-hmm. to nature there's a tempo to your surroundings mm-hmm. and sometimes that tempo's faster sometimes that tempo's slower and they're both good the question yeah. is can you key into the tempo of what needs to happen um and not
11: Fight it. Being in the outdoors, it's where I'm happiest. It's where, I don't know, I can take a deep breath. It is the, the space between um, where there's silence and the natural world and the inherent lessons of going for a walk on a rainy morning. And I spent a lot of my youth outdoors, uh, climbing mountains, sleeping in tents, And so I really just decided one morning, it was a very casual, not at all thoughtful in some ways decision (laughs) to say, um, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up an hour earlier than I usually do uh, before the world wakes up and simply go for a walk. And so I've done it every single day for the last 11 years. I think I've, at this point, you know, I've circumnavigated the earth in terms of mileage is about, I think I'm close to 27,000 miles and their circumference is 25,000 miles. Now, two notes. Um, when I say this, I always pause because my practice is not about mileage. It's not about number of steps. And while there's nothing wrong with measuring, um, and I did that for the first few years, what I've come to realize is um, that's not what it's about. It's not about, did you get your 10,000 steps in? And again, no judgment around that. That can be very motivating for me. I got wrapped up in the data early on such that I wasn't hearing the sort of, um, inherent and natural and quiet lessons. I was very attuned to the data. Um, so when I say I've walked, you know, close to 27,000 miles, um, that's, you know, kind of a rough estimate at this point, but, um, Yeah, I've been doing it every, as I say, every damn day. Um, I feel incredibly privileged to be able-bodied to do it. Um, There isn't, there really isn't a walk where I don't think, "Wow, I'm I'm, this is incredibly fortunate." I live in a beautiful place. Mm. I can really see the seasons changing. The other day, there was this huge flock of geese overhead, just squawking their way and. It's just really nice to pause and watch them go south. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, the the result of this many miles and this many days is, I think, um, a, a change in my language of how I talk about this walk, and I use the word practice. I happen to think yeah. uh, walking is an equivalent practice to a seated meditation or even a yoga practice. For me, it's really become a place of um, – quiet, of sanctuary, of nourishment, of healing, of inspiration. I find it's my most creative time of the day. So um, I'm uh, in many ways on a mission to simply share with everybody that going for a walk, whether it be what I do every day, which is probably in the neighborhood of five to 10 miles, something like that. And again, I am know that I am grateful that I have the time, but even even a three-minute walk um, can have a profound effect. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think it's one of life's incredible gifts <laughs> to us.
12: Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi said in his book, Flow, flow is found at the intersection of discipline and surrender. Uh, I like that. Mm. And I say that the groove is found at the intersection of discipline, surrender, and mischief because I think the Discipline and the Surrender sounds a little bit dry. And as soon as I added the mischief, it took me a while to come up with that. I was working with Jamie Wheel, who wrote um, Stealing Fire from the Gods and Recapture the Rapture. And then someone asked me to work with him. He, he was doing a quite a small workshop in London, and I was invited to do the sort of warm-up, because he runs a thing called the Flow Genome Project, which is it's very, very clever, you know, a well, wonderful man, Jamie, but he didn't have any sort of practical thing he could do to demonstrate So he invited me. And um and he said he, he wrote a foreword to my book recently that, like you have. And um and he said, uh yeah, I saw Tom walk in the room with his top hat and his Indian coat and his drums. I thought, Oh my God, what have I done? He said this is uh, it's either going to be a train wreck or it's really going to work. Luckily, it really worked. And now, that's I know when I walk into any corporate event or when people see me on stage, they sometimes put me on stage at the beginning as a surprise. I know. And all stand-up comedians will tell you this. They'll say, address the thing first that the audience are thinking. So I will say something like, hello, my name's Tom. Is anyone else having a bad hair day? Or... Or I'll say hello, my name's Tom. Um, I don't take drugs actually, and they laugh, you know, both times they look like oh, this guy's got our number. <laughs> so then <laughs> I say, Well, you know, the, you're going to be here anyway because I've already been paid 50 percent up front, so I'm not going away. So I'll tell you what, let's try standing up and doing it. And that, and w- what that is, I've done some work with Nike on branding, uh, and Nike, there. The, the, if you think you know vision values vibe the values are really kind of um, sports performance it's not let's make training shoes sports their vibe um, their kind of everyday behavior is just do it but their vision the the thing above all that is I love these two words irreverence justified and if you think yeah. who Nike sponsor it, they're all rebels but They've all been rebels at the top of their game, you know. John McEnroe chalk dust, you know who, whoever kind of uh, spoke to the umpire like that before? No, mate, that was the, I saw the chalk dust. I am not accepting. So, and then they look at it, they look at the footage, they go, "He's right, actually." <laughs> so, so, so it's irreverence, yes, but it's justified, and I think that is, if there is anything, you know, if I was only allowed two words on my gravestone. I'd probably put those two on because that's that's what you have to do. If you're if you're an if you're an introvert and you make yourself stand out, um, you can't. If people say, "Well, oh, why, why are you standing out? Well, it's just so you'll come and talk to me. Uh, what have you got to say then?" Oh, I'm not sure, already. Um, tell me about what was the traffic light on the way here for you? You know, they don't want to hear that. They want they want to hear. Oh yeah, the groove is found at the intersection of you know discipline, surrender, and mischief. Let's let's get on with some mischief. You know, oh, that sounds all
0: right, right. I love that. I love that.
10: Now, walking. My mother was a great walker, and and uh, and many philosophers have said that don't trust a philosophy which has not been tested by walking. So walking is freeing liberating when you are walking you are free you are free spirit your body is free your mind is free you are not bound walk every day Mm. if you want to experience and taste of freedom then you walk and when you are walking you're carrying no burden on your shoulders you're not worried you are just walking you can't do anything else but walk Mm. and or listen this this podcast maybe but you walk (laughs) so by walking you connect with the soil By walking, you connect with your soul, your spirit, your consciousness, your imagination. Your answers come when you are walking. All your questions can be answered when you are walking. Mm. And you connect with other people. You connect with a landscape. You connect with cities. You see other people. So that kind of panoramic experience and view of the world, you can only see by walking. In In a car, you don't see anything. You are just looking ahead to avoid any accident. If you are by train, you are only uh, focusing on your destination. But when you are walking, you have no destination. process of walking is more important than the destination. Yeah. So no destination, no goal, nothing to achieve, nothing to accomplish, no expectation, just walking. Total freedom. Okay.
0: Dear Wanderers, dear Wanderellas, Wanderfellas, Wanderistas all, we're on our final lap of gorgeousness and who better to bring us home than a gentle protester, an eco-historian and a world-famous design blogger known to her army of devoted followers as Swiss Miss, there's a clue.
13: Um, so I people are all I get people saying all the time in talks and stuff, well, it's okay for you to be a gentle protester, you're gentle. I'm not. I'm really angry constantly. Yes, I, I limit the amount of news I read so that I'm up to date with things, but I'm not overwhelmed and paralyzed by it. Um I read make sure I read positive news magazine as well as, you know, newspapers so you've got a nice mix but when I'm angry when I see something awful physically I get really tense and I do want to scream and shout and punch things so I jump it out I dance it out I power walk somewhere I, I just shake the anger out of me because I know long-term anger is chronic and produces really bad health and mental health um, problems and means you can't think clearly so I know that anger is a good catalyst but I need to shake it out so I never want to not be angry I don't want to be numb to things yeah but I know that it's a first step and I shouldn't be led by anger
14: it's just fantastic to end up in a street you didn't know existed, and find that little bar where people are sitting, and you sit down there and have a coffee or a beer, and you just watch life going by. And you know, after an hour or so, you think, well, now it would be really interesting to know where the hell I am and <laughs> how I can get back to wherever I need to be. But I think getting lost, getting lost and doing something that is that is, I think, gets sanitized out of our digital world, digitized world evermore, which is facing the unexpected. Bumping into something, noticing something that you never knew was there, just being present at some sort of curious coincidence or random happening, um, that doesn't happen in our sort of programmed digital lives that are run by algorithms. You know, things are regular, things are rule-based in them and even where there's a random generator he's also that is also rule based yeah, yeah, yeah. that is put in at a rule based place that's not how what life's like
15: what i have to kind of do is just remind myself that people that are cynical and hurtful and mean it's there's basically just two modes you can be in my world there's two modes you're either in fear or you're in love and whenever, when I'm around those people, I'm like, wait, like I'm trying to zoom out a bit and just be a bit more compassionate and say like, they're in, they're in fear. They're in pain. They're not in love. I mean, when I say in love, like they're not, you know, and I know this is super wool And some people are going to roll their eyes at this. That's okay. That's how I operate because I sense mm-hmm. it with myself too. Yes. When I get short circuited or I start judging, I was like, Tina, whoa, get yeah. back into your heart. Yes. And be gentle. Yes. And so I almost feel like just a huge, and I think that's the purpose of creative mornings. I think people come to our events And there's such a purity with it and a kindness that just washes over you that so many times people come up to me afterwards and they literally have their hand on their heart and say to me, I don't know what happened in the last hour and a half, but I feel really good and I want to partake more. So to me, it's almost sort of an inherent uh, reminder of the inherent goodness of us. Yeah, yeah. But we feel trapped in a world that just makes us cynical and afraid and like trapped.
0: Yeah. Oh, is that it? Andrew, is that it? We, we, that's the last perfect stranger? Oh, well, I apologize, but I really hope you enjoyed that. You found it stimulating for your creativity, for your imagination. And who knows, maybe you even got an answer to the questions that you're asking. So I'm going to finish by reminding you about the World Wide Wonder details and how you join. But first, I wanted to thank our perfect strangers for being, well, perfect. And to reveal who they have been in the order that you met them. So, drum roll please. Andrew, it can be a mime drum roll. Oh, It did a real drum roll. The talent of the man. They have been, you have been listening to. Pippa Evans, Ruby Rare, Sarah Ellis, Philip Cowell, Deborah Cochlin, Tracy Rubel, Oli Barrett, Kia Cannons, Libby Delana, Tom Morley, Satish Kumar, Sarah Corbett, Philip Blom and Tina Roth Eisenberg. Applause! <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> thank you so so much if you haven't listened to their episodes please do go back in the archive and and listen to them in more detail they're all worth spending a walk with so this is the final bit the worldwide wonder as i said is on friday the 29th of september let's say that again friday the 29th of september you can join from anywhere anytime and it's free if you go to the website that's theworldwidewonder.com you'll find all the details of what's happening when, some of the special guests who are joining, our partners around the world, and they're a great bunch. And importantly, you can also register at the click of a button. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be a way to meet other curious folk like you, have a bit of a wonder, see the world differently, and really exercise our imaginations. If not now, when? And if not us, who? Andrew, that was me ending on a on a big statement. Did it work, do you think? I thought, I thought I'd go a little bit, you know, a bit JFK on that on the end thing. You know, we are. No, he's not, he's not concerned. Alright, just sending you guys lots of love. Um, hope to see you soon. Do come and join the World Wide Wonder. Do tell your friends, let's, let's, let's make this world a better place a step at a time. Bye! Andrew, I think I forgot to mention how much we love it when people leave comments. How loved it makes us feel. Well, makes you feel. I mean, I have real friends in the real world, Andrew.